Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I delivered a message a few weeks ago at Gateway Seminary called President's Convocation, and in that message I talked about uh, the problem in Southern Baptist life today of declining baptisms. In fact, uh, the problem is very significant. Uh, the baptismal rate last year was lower than at any point in our history since 1940, the 1940s. Now, contrast that with this statistic. We have twice as many churches today as we had in the middle 1940s. So twice as many churches are baptizing the same number of people as we did uh, back in those days. Uh, and we are at an all-time low of baptisms in now the last almost 80 years. And so we have a very serious problem in our denomination with our diminishing ability to communicate the gospel and lead people to publicly profess faith in Christ through baptism. It's a pervasive problem. In 2017, 30% of Southern Baptist churches did not baptize anyone, and about 50% of the churches baptized two people or less. Well, I, in my presentation, I talked about 10 factors which are undermining our efforts in personal evangelism. And as I said before, there could be 12, 15, 20, I don't know how many factors there are, but I picked out 10 that I've personally either experienced or that I observe in the churches or that I deal with on a regular basis in talking with people about what it means to be more focused on personal evangelism. So I've been using these podcasts over the last few weeks to expound, uh, excuse me, to expand on, and I guess also expound on, uh, these factors that I identified. And today, I want to talk about this factor, aversion to persuasion on religious issues. Here's what I said in the original message. Uh, considering these two theological positions, these are the two that I referenced last week in the podcast, leads us to another factor undermining gospel sharing, an aversion to persuasion as part of personal evangelism. Paul wrote these phrases describing his evangelistic efforts. Since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. The love of Christ compels us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And these are phrases from 2 Corinthians 5, 11, 14, and 20. God's love compels us to plead persuasively with unbelievers to receive the gospel. An aversion to persuasion is rooted in both cultural proclivities and legitimate concerns. Our culture values tolerance, now defined as validating all opinions and behaviors equally. Not doing this leads to being labeled intolerant, one of the worst shaming words in our current vocabulary. Our culture also values individualism, now defined as laissez-faire acceptance of whoever a person claims to be or, or however they choose to define themselves. Both, both of these cultural values mitigate against persuasion. An aversion to persuasion also emerges from a legitimate concern. A few Christian leaders are charlatans, more concerned about padding statistics and amassing wealth than genuine spiritual commitments. They use manipulation and emotionalism to get results. While these are occasional problems, they are not common among Southern Baptists. Yet, the abuses of a few, salaciously reported, have cowed the rest of us into avoiding persuasion lest we be lumped in with these hucksters. Personal evangelism cannot be abandoned because of cultural pressures about tolerance and individualism. Likewise, we cannot allow deceptive practices by some Christians to dampen our enthusiasm or lessen our passion. 
We are compelled by love to plead with unbelievers about their salvation. With right motives and appropriate means, we can share the gospel in persuasive ways without compromising its legitimacy. I read the passages of Scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, uh, and I want to go back to those for just a moment. Paul said, Since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. And then he wrote, The love of Christ compels us. And then we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. There's no doubt that in this passage of Scripture, uh, there is a strong emphasis on persuasion. Paul wrote that personal evangelism for him was not just about sprinkling some biblical truth on the culture to see what might happen. Personal evangelism was about engaging people persuasively. It was about talking with people in a pleading fashion. It was about recognizing that God's love compels, which means thrusts us forward in this work. So there's no question but that in this particular passage, Paul writes about the importance of persuasion as a part of sharing the gospel with others. Now, in this podcast, I've identified, or in the message I identified, a couple of sources for this resistance to persuasion. And the first one is cultural resistance that comes out of really a couple of things. The first one is tolerance in our culture now being defined as validating all opinions and behaviors equally. You know, tolerance used to mean you have a different opinion than I do, and I will extend tolerance to you, meaning I will listen respectfully, uh, I will argue my point as uh, clearly as I can without denigrating you as a person, uh, I will allow you space in the culture to believe what you believe, uh, I'll allow you a freedom of speech and expression. Now, that's what tolerance used to mean. Now, tolerance has been redefined to mean uh, that I have to validate your opinion and your behavior as equally valid to mine or as equally right to mine. That's a cultural shift that I think we're all aware of. It's not anything new that I'm revealing here, but I'm applying it to personal evangelism. Because when you believe in tolerance, then you start sharing the gospel with someone and they tell you they believe something differently, uh, then tolerance now says that you have to say to that other person, well, I respect what you say and I believe that it's true for you and so therefore it's an equal truth to the truth that I believe and so we'll just both go on together uh, in tolerance of one another, meaning that we both validate what each other believes as being true for us and having no influence or no need to influence the other person. Of course, that definition of tolerance runs headlong into the practice of personal evangelism as described in the Bible. We do extend tolerance to others, meaning we tolerate them. We allow them to believe what they believe. We recognize their right to believe that. We create space in our culture through our laws and systems of governance to give them the privilege of uh, espousing their beliefs. But that does not mean, tolerating them does not mean that we have to embrace them as equally true to what we believe and give up all effort to try to convince them to change their mind. Um, that's a new definition of tolerance, and that has undermined persuasion in personal evangelism because Christians are afraid uh, to be persuasive about the gospel lest they be perceived as being intolerant, as I said in the original message, the most, one of the worst shaming words in our current 
contemporary vocabulary. To be called intolerant is just about the worst profanity that can be thrown at a person these days. Christians that want to avoid that, so they avoid persuasion as part of personal evangelism. Then I also talked about another cultural issue, and that's uh, uh, individualism. Now, I, I said that it, by individualism, I mean that uh, you, everyone now has a, a laissez-faire or a hands-off acceptance of whatever a person claims to be or however they choose to define themselves. Now, we're seeing this in so many ways in our culture. Uh, there's always been a rugged individualism about Americans, which means that we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, which means we take responsibility for our own futures, which means we, uh, we have a destiny that we're trying to fulfill and we're trying to live that out on our own. That's all been a healthy part of developing a sense of destiny or purpose or responsibility in our culture. But now, by individualism, we mean something different. Just as we've redefined tolerance, we've now redefined individualism to mean that every person has the right to believe what they believe and live how they choose to live and that we have to affirm that as being equally valid to the way that the rest of the culture or the rest of the persons in the culture are living. This is why we're seeing people make new decisions about marriage, new decisions about gender, new decisions about sexuality, and claim that they have an equal standing and a valid uh, 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 position of truth, if you will, uh, from which they're willing, able to operate. Individualism now means that we put, take our hands off and say, hey, however you want to live is, how, is right, you just do you. And that kind of mentality causes us to be a, a reluctant to be persuasive about evangelism because in, in personal evangelism you have to say there's something wrong with the way you're living. It's called sin. And God wants to forgive you of your sin and call you out of that and give you a new way of life. You have to be somewhat confrontational in personal evangelism, and that goes against what our culture is teaching about individualism these days. So there's at least two cultural forces that are undermining persuasion as a part of personal evangelism. The first is the redefinition of tolerance, and the second is the redefinition of individualism. And we're going to have to move against both of these cultural pressures if we're going to return uh, to a good, balanced place of good, effective personal evangelism. Then I also talked about this aversion of emerging from some, you know, re relig uh, legitimate concerns among Christians. Uh, one of these that I mentioned was, uh, you know, the abuse that's been uh, that's been made of this issue of persuasion. There's no doubt that some leaders have used manipulation and emotionalism to get results. They're more concerned about padding statistics and, quite frankly, padding their bank accounts than they are about legitimately advancing God's kingdom. No question about this. No argument for me. It's out there. But let's be real. It's a pretty small number of people who are doing this and a pretty small number of Christian leaders who are doing this. The vast majority of Christian leaders and the vast majority of Christians are not using manipulation and emotionalism in an inappropriate way. They aren't persuading people in ways that are self-serving. They're really trying to persuade people for their own good and best interests in order to, uh, to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. But there's a couple of other things I, I didn't really mention in the podcast that also comes out of the, the, the concern of some Christians. Not only do they want to uh, avoid being one of these manipulators and misusers of emotion, but they also want to avoid offending anyone. And uh, as a part of that, they also want to avoid causing conflict. 
Now, um, I don't want to offend people unnecessarily either, I, I, and I certainly don't want to cause conflict, but the Bible pretty clearly says that the gospel in and of itself is going to be a, a source of conflict with some people. It doesn't matter how carefully you present it, how, how uh, winsomely your, personal, your personality, um, how much deference you show in the conversation. It really doesn't matter about all that because ultimately the gospel, the cross itself, has an offense attached to it. When you tell a person God loves you, they normally smile and receive that well. But then when you say, but something has broken your relationship with God and that something is your sin, the Bible says you're a sinner and you have to repent of your sin in order to come back to a relationship with God, immediately uh, the tension begins to build in the conversation. It's hard to tell a person the truth about their situation, and yet the Bible says uh, that that's part of our responsibility in sharing the gospel. And then uh, just the offense of the cross itself, helping a person understand that because of their sin, Jesus Christ had to die this horrible uh punish uh, this horrible, uh, pain-filled death on the cross, uh, that also creates tension and conflict with people who want to escape that responsibility and deny it in some sense because it's just too painful to consider. Another aspect of sharing the gospel that uh, can be offensive and cause conflict is, is helping people understand their eternal destiny if they don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. It's hard to talk about the fact that there's judgment coming and eternal consequences about our decision related to our salvation. And so uh, it's significant and important and, and uh, vital that we, we understand that those, those aspects of the conversation are going to uh, be tension-filled. They can offend others, they can cause conflict, and yet they're part of what it means to share the gospel. So there's a, there is a number of factors that are undermining persuasion on religious issues are persuasion on, as a part of personal evangelism. I've identified some cultural issues like definitions of tolerance and individualism, and I've also identified some uh, Christian issues or some Christian faith type issues like avoiding being lumped in with charlatans and uh, not wanting to offend people and not wanting to cause conflict. And frankly, uh, those concerns are real, but we can't let those concerns keep us from adopting a position of persuasion, uh, a perspective of persuasion as we go into personal evangelism encounters. There's another uh, issue, however, that is undermining some Christians' uh, persuasion uh, in personal evangelism, and that is a theological conviction, or even a set of theological convictions. Now, I first came uh, into this thought pattern a couple of years ago when I read a biography of a well-known pastor in the 20th century, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in uh, London for decades. He was a tremendous Bible teacher and expository preacher. Uh, he was also a careful writer, and his uh, commentaries are fantastic resources. I, I have them on my shelves. I've used them throughout my pastoral ministry. So I am not uh, attacking him in any way. I'm just telling you what I learned from his biography and then the stream of that which I see and how it influences evangelism and particularly personal evangelism today. Uh, Lloyd-Jones was uh, very convictional about avoiding what he called means, M-E-A-N-S, avoiding what he called means in relationship to personal evangelism or even to corporate aspects of evangelism by the church. He believed that 
the church should gather, the gospel should be preached, and that God would draw people to himself by that preaching of the gospel and draw people to the preaching of the gospel that, um, that uh, he wanted to be saved. And the church that uh, Lloyd-Jones pastored had very simple, very direct services, not a lot of, uh, uh, of attachments, if you will, to them, or not a lot of things added to them besides congregational singing and the preaching of the Word of God. Now, I'm not criticizing this again in any mean, by any way. I'm simply saying this is what he did. Now, this whole issue of means uh, meant for him that he did not believe in advertising, he did not believe in campaigns, he did not believe in programs, he did not believe in training projects that put people into situations where they were going to be sharing the gospel. Uh, that, that was an aversion that he had because he believed that the use of means infringed theologically upon his understanding of how God brought people to faith and, or to salvation and how this all depended on God and really God alone in the process. It came to a head when Billy Graham came to London. Now, this was... Uh, when Billy Graham was uh, rising dramatically in his uh, influence internationally and his crusades were attracting tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And so he went to London, and as, he de- as do- uh, Mr. Graham did in every context, he went into uh, um, to communities, he met pastors, he built coalitions of support, and he tried to be a unifying force. And so um, he met with uh, Lloyd-Jones, and their team talked about how, they, how their church could participate in the crusade. Now, the story uh, in, is uh, very uh, uh, well told in the biography, but it's, it's not a story of deceit or deception or anything like that. It's a very open story where Lloyd-Jones told Mr. Graham this. He said, I, I, I appreciate you as a Christian brother, and I believe in the sincerity of your ministry, and, and, and I support what you're doing in the sense that I want the gospel preached just like you do. But Lloyd-Jones said, I will not support your crusade because I believe you are inappropriately using means, advertising, uh, going to public venues, uh, speaking in secular con- contexts, all the things that Graham did uh, to, to attract a crowd, to communicate the gospel, to present it in unusual ways and in unique places. Um, Lloyd-Jones said, I can't support that. Now, to Lloyd-Jones' credit, um, he also told Graham, I, I will never criticize you in public. In fact, I will have no comment about your crusade in public because I, I don't want to be perceived as, <clears throat> as, as being detrimental in any way to what you're trying to do. So I, I find a, a whole other aspect of this to be very encouraging. Here are two men that had a very different perspective that was theologically grounded about their responsibility for getting the gospel to people and how that was to be done. They disagreed, uh, obviously and clearly, on the strategies and the, quote, means that should be used, but they never attacked one another for their differences. And I find that to be incredibly encouraging in our world today and a really a good model. But back to my point. Uh, Lloyd-Jones is an example of a person who had a theological conviction against the use of means to advance the gospel, and he followed that throughout his entire ministry. That uh, was very fruitful in many ways in London and resulted in tremendous contribution to the kingdom of God. So again, I have his books, I've used his materials, I value his ministry, but I think on this one thing he was wrong. 
I don't think Graham was inappropriate in using the means that he did to try to get the gospel to more and more people. But this illustration of these two men and how they worked through this dilemma illustrates that some Christians are reluctant uh, to use means or to do too much persuasion or to go too aggressively in personal evangelism to people who've not yet heard the gospel because they don't want to appear to be tampering with or assuming on God's sovereign work of salvation. Now, this is the conclusion of some. And while I respect that conclusion, I disagree with it. In fact, I would point to some others who share a similar, more reformed theological position, like Whitfield and Spurgeon, who both were well-known for using means to get the gospel, uh, preaching in open-air places, doing evangelistic campaigns, uh, being very aggressive about communicating the gospel and very persuasive about doing that, and in, all, and, and, and in their ministry seeing, uh, of course, large numbers of people come to faith in Christ. And so I'm not lumping all Reformed uh, persons in a camp here and say they're all like Lloyd-Jones. They all resist using means to share the gospel. That's just not true. There are great examples like Whitfield and Spurgeon and perhaps dozens of other examples throughout church history where people who said they had a Reformed perspective theologically also had a very aggressive perspective on personal evangelism and the practices of getting the gospel to as many people as possible, as many ways as possible, and certainly in a personal way sharing the gospel. We actually have a person here at Gateway who models this for us very well. We have an employee who is probably one of our most uh, uh, convictional Calvinists. Uh, Very open about that. No compromise in anything that he stands for on that position in order to work here. That's his position. We knew it when we hired him. He's been here a long time. He's a tremendous employee. He's also, perhaps, our most aggressive personal evangelist. He's the one who organizes students to go do street witnessing. He's the one who takes groups of students to the mall to share the gospel. He's the one who says, let's go uh, and see who we can talk with about Jesus on a regular basis. And he also, when he speaks, is incredibly persuasive and wants people to come to Christ and uses every argument he can to get that job done. In fact, he also occasionally teaches apologetics here at the seminary. So... um, I want to be really clear here on the podcast. I'm not I'm not uh, broad brushing a, an entire uh, theological uh, movement and saying that they're all against means. That's just not true. But if you if you're a person who follows the pattern of a Martin Lloyd Jones and says, you know, there there's just no reason to use means to share the gospel, and I don't want to be accused of infringing or tampering with or, or, or uh, in any way assuming on God's sovereign work of salvation, so therefore I will not use means, I will not be persuasive, I will not be aggressive, I will not uh, be creative, I will not do these kinds of things in sharing the gospel, I'd ask you to reconsider that position. And see if in Spurgeon or Whitfield or even contemporary models like the one I've described in our seminary, you might find a balance between your theological convictions and the responsibility we have and even the model we have in a person like Paul who said, I am compelled by the love of Christ. I plead with you. I am trying to persuade you to become a Christian. This is a better model, I think, and one I would encourage you to adopt today. Well, let me close with some bullet points on what does appropriate persuasion look like in personal evangelism. Well, number one, 
It's grounded in biblical examples and mandates. We are persuasive in sharing the gospel, not because we want to be argumentative or because we think we have all the answers or because we in some ways want to browbeat people into belief. No, we are persuasive in personal evangelism because we see the biblical mandate to do so and we see biblical examples, uh, Peter, Paul, Jesus, and others, and the incredible way that they moved purposefully into community, shared the gospel persuasively, and tried to call people to follow Jesus. Second, appropriate persuasion respects the beliefs and choices of others. Uh, Appropriate persuasion does not cross a line into being combative, bombastic, and certainly uh, in no way uh, demeaning to another person and what they believe. Sarcasm has no place in personal evangelism. So being uh, persuasive means we respect the beliefs and choices of others, We do everything legitimately possible to present a a, a perspective that will cause them to change their mind, but we do not demean them. We we are not bombastic in our approach. We do not belittle anyone or use sarcasm to put other people down for what they believe. That's not part of being persuasive. Three, appropriate persuasion avoids manipulation and coercion. Appropriate persuasion doesn't prolong public invitations to the point that they become tedious. It doesn't try to get people to make a decision because, you know, we're having baptism this Sunday and you wouldn't want to miss that. No, it it avoids all kinds of manipulation and coercion. And frankly, this does still happen. I had an occasion recently where a pastor came to me and said that in their uh, local Baptist associations, uh, children's and youth camps, they had a preacher that had been recommended to them. They brought him in and after the first session, The pastors had to sit down with him and say, you can't give an invitation like that here. That was manipulative. It was coercive. It was inappropriate for this age of child to have that kind of a response called for, and we won't won't tolerate it. So either adjust your strategy or we're going to have to change the preacher. And quite frankly, I'm proud of these guys because he did not adjust, and they did change the preacher. Uh, You cannot use manipulation and coercion. And when you're speaking to children or to teenagers, you have to be particularly careful about this. Be persuasive, yes. Manipulative and coercive, no. Number four, appropriate persuasion includes genuine emotional appeals. Now, I'm acquainted with a person that uh, almost every time he speaks, he cries. And quite honestly, um, it gets a little old. I, I don't mean to sound overly judgmental, but it just does. Now, occasionally when I speak, I'm moved emotionally and I don't hide that. And I I, I want people to know that what I'm talking about really matters and really matters to me. And I want it to really matter to them. And so there's a place for emotional appeals. You know, there's a place to say to a a person while you're sitting down with them over coffee, I want you to to commit your life to Jesus because I, I know how much he can make a difference in your life and how much he's made a difference in mine. And to, to give an emotional appeal, to, to tug at the heartstrings, is not inappropriate. But if you're using emotion to manipulate others or to be coercive or to somehow draw attention to yourself in a weird kind of cathartic way, stop it. Just stop. Emotional appeals are appropriate when they're genuine, when they're heartfelt, when they're spontaneous, if you will, and come out of the genuine concern you have for the person or the group that you're talking with. All right, number five, appropriate persuasion involves being winsome. There's not anything wrong 
with putting your best foot forward in every relationship and trying your best to be a winsome gospel witness. Being winsome doesn't mean that you're trying to be manipulative or coercive or fake in some way. It doesn't mean that you don't act like who you are. It means that you put your best self forward, and in that moment, you're trying to be the best you can be in presenting the gospel and presenting the Christian faith in the most winsome way possible. Uh, that you actually, by the, your demeanor and by your words and by your conduct, show the person the genuine love and respect that you have for them in the conversation. And then finally, appropriate persuasion can include apologetics. It sometimes does mean that you have to defend your faith and be a bit argumentative and help people to see that what they're believing is just plain wrong. And you can do that by showing them scripture and helping them understand theological concepts and bringing them to a reality of what the Christian faith and Christian life really are all about. So apologetics has its place. Apologetics is not so much being argumentative, however, as it is learning to present an apology for, present the, the, uh, the truth about, present, if you will, the case for uh, Christianity. Well, persuasion is a part of evangelism, and it's definitely a part of personal evangelism. We see it in the biblical mandates and examples. We have some concerns that in our culture and even within our movement that cause us to be reluctant, to be more persuasive in the context of evangelism. But yet the Bible mandates it, illustrates it, and calls us to that kind of personal evangelism. I've given you some pointers here at the end, some checkpoints, if you will, of what looks makes for appropriate persuasion in evangelism. Put this all into practice this week as you lead on. <music>